Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. The book of Jude was written for just such times as we find ourselves in today, where we see the abundance of false teachers. You have no problem finding a false teacher on the television set today. You have no problem going to a Christian bookstore and finding books written by false teachers. You have no problem going on the internet today and finding a multitude of false teachers. We live in a day that abounds with those who mishandle the Word of God. And the book of Jude was written to help us so that we would not be caught up in their deceptions. Now the first 16 verses of Jude talks about these false teachers, and we saw there were three characteristics that Jude six times brings to our attention in just these brief verses. First, they disbelieve God's Word. Either they outright deny it, or they so twist it that it doesn't say at all what they say that it says. Secondly, They indulge their fleshly desires. The exorbitant lifestyles and sensual lifestyles become evident as you look closer. And then thirdly, they reject proper authority. Most of them on authority within themselves and to themselves. But beginning in verse 17, Jude gives us four things we must do as Christians if we're going to stand against the onslaught of false teachers. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and stand in respect for the Word of God as we begin reading in verse 17, and I will point out these four things to you as we go through. First thing he says we must do is remember the words of the apostles, verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. And then the second thing we must do is remain in God's love, beginning in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And the third thing we must do is to reach out to those in trouble and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. And then the fourth thing we must do is rest in God's greatness. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. We are looking at the second thing that we must do, and that is to remain in God's love, as is spoken of in verses 20 and 21. Now, remember last week we said... To remain in God's love doesn't mean you have to do something to keep God loving you. Rather, it means you must remain in the place 
where you can experience the positive expressions of God's love as opposed to the disciplined hand of God. To remain in a place where you can enjoy the presence of God is to remain in His love. Now Jude says that there are three things that we need to do in order to remain in His love. Remember in verses 20 and 21, it's just one sentence in the original Greek, and there's one verb, and that is keep yourselves. And there are three participles describing how we keep ourselves in God's love. First, we do it by building ourselves up on the most holy faith. We spent a week talking about that, how we do that. Secondly, you do so by praying in the Spirit. And we saw that last week, and we talked about what it meant to pray in the Spirit. It's Spirit-initiated praying. It's Spirit-empowered praying. It is Spirit-directed praying. Again, you can go on our website, the address is in the bulletin, and you can hear these back sermons. Today, we come to the third thing we need to do if we're going to remain in God's love, and that is we are to wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, I've reduced it to just a short phrase. Look forward so you can live upward. Look forward so you can live upward. All right, let's look at what Jude is telling us today. First, look forward. What are we to look forward to? The event he's talking about is a return of our Lord Jesus Christ and our future glorification. When he says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, he's talking about when Jesus comes back. The event is the return of Jesus and the glorification of Christians. The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, couple of things are going to immediately happen. Those who are dead in Christ, who've been buried, their bodies are going to come up from the grave. And those bodies are going to be transformed. They were laid there in weakness. They were laid there in decay, but they're going to rise up in glory. And those of us who are living are going to suddenly be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And our bodies will be glorified and we will be caught up to meet the Lord who is in the air. Now the scripture talks about this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. All right? See that verse on the screen? It's there, Charles. Just keep going down. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we will be changed. That last trumpet is the trumpet that will sound before the Lord Jesus Christ comes in His glory. And what does it say about the dead? They will be raised imperishable, right? When that body was laid in that grave, it perishes. If it's there long enough, it will turn to dust. 
But when it comes out of that grave, it will come as a new, glorified, imperishable body. And those of us who remain, those of us who are alive, will be changed as well. Paul talks about this over in Philippians chapter 3 as well. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, you see that waiting, looking forward, who will transform the body of our humble estate, that's his body, into conformity to the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul says that when Christ returns, he's going to take this old humble body with all its, its, its infirmities and its weaknesses and its faults and with the moles and the warts and all that stuff, and he is going to transform it into conformity with the body of his glory, Jesus' glory. And so our bodies will be changed, transformed, and when Christ returns, we'll be resurrected. Then we will be joined to Him as His bride. We will be rewarded for our service and our salvation will be complete. That's what's known as our glorification. So the Bible says that we do have a measure of our salvation today. When you become a Christian, you immediately receive eternal life. Life of the age to come. But your salvation is not complete then. There is more to it. And personally, I'm glad of that. I'm glad I've got something to look forward to. And that this is not all that there is. Now, to have my sins forgiven is great. To have Jesus within me through His Spirit is fantastic. To have the power of the Spirit enabling me to live the Christian life is wonderful. But let me tell you, I am excited about what awaits me and that is my future glorification when I'm married to Jesus, my, bri- my groom, and when I am rewarded for my service, and when I have this glorified, resurrected body. And Jude is talking about this day when he says, the mercy of the Lord being poured out on us to eternal life. Now over in... Ephesians chapter 1, we talk, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge, a promise that we've only got the first installment of our eternal life. But it's a guarantee that God's going to bring it to fruition. He's going to bring about our glorification. Look at what Paul says. In Him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. God has sealed us. He has put the transaction mark. It is completed. A seal in biblical days could represent the completion of a transaction. When a a legal document was completed, the seal would be put down. It also shows ownership. Like a brand in the Old West would show the ownership of that horse. The seal would be a brand to show ownership. We belong to Him. And then a seal would also show security. When the king's seal was put on something, it was not to be touched. 
So we have the Holy Spirit as our seal, that we are owned by God, that we are His possession, that we are protected by Him, and a promise that our future glorification is going to take place. Look what he says. Who is given as a pledge of what? Our inheritance. That's our future glorification. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession, that is, our bodies, to the praise of His glory. It's kind of like a trust fund. Say that you grew up in a very wealthy family and your father put several hundred million dollars in a trust fund for you. Now, he had your name on it. In a real sense, that trust fund is yours, but he says, I will only allow you to spend so much money each year until you get 30 years old. And once you get 30 years old, you have complete control of all the trust. So you have it when you're 18. Technically, it's yours. But now you can only enjoy the first fruits of it until you get to the point that you're 30 years old and then you can enjoy it all. We've got the first installment of our eternal life and salvation in this life. It's ours. It's guaranteed. It's sealed. We can enjoy some of it now, but not the fullness of it until the Lord Jesus comes back, our bodies are raised up and glorified, and we live with Him through eternity. So that's the event that Jude is talking about looking forward to. Look forward that you might live upward. Look forward to the day that Jesus returns, your body is raised and glorified, you are married to Christ, and you are rewarded for your service. And then your salvation will be complete, your glorification is taking place. Now that's the event. Now what's the attitude? How should we be thinking about this event as we look forward? The attitude is one of eager expectation. Look at what he says. Waiting anxiously. That's the attitude. Waiting anxiously. Now this needs a little bit of explanation. When you and I think about anxious, we think about being fretful, right? When you said, man, I'm anxiously waiting for my report to come back from the doctor. They took a biopsy. He says he thinks it might be cancer, but we won't know for sure until the biopsy comes back in a week. Now, is that not the longest week of your life? And you are anxiously waiting. You are fretfully waiting. You are dreading it. Now, that's not at all what this Greek word means. I really don't think anxiously waiting is the best translation of this term. Rather... It means to eagerly, expectantly wait. Even excitedly waiting. And so I say an eager expectation. It's like waiting for a child to be born. Especially that first one. You remember how it is waiting for that first child to be born? It's like it's never going to get there. But what do we say? She's expecting. Well, yeah, you're expecting, but you're looking forward to it. You want it to hurry up, come about. It's like a child waiting for Christmas Day. You remember those days, don't you? Man, you couldn't wait for Christmas Day to finally come. That's the attitude we're talking about. Waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus like you used to wait for Christmas when you were a child. 
Not like you used to be wait to go to the dentist and have a dentist appointment. Uh-uh. Not at all. But eagerly, excited, waiting with anticipation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may be waiting that way right now for me to get through preaching so you can go eat lunch. You've got an excited anticipation. Let it roll, preacher. Keep going. This word is used in the New Testament in a way that shows us this eager anticipation. You remember Simeon, who God had told him he would not die until he saw the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And he hung around the temple area in Jerusalem. This word is used, waiting, excitedly, anticipating with eagerness the day that he would see the Messiah of Israel. It was also used of those who waited for the day of Jerusalem's redemption when the forces of the Roman Empire would be thrown off and they would once again experience true freedom. And it says that they longed, they waited for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus used it over in a parable that He told over in Luke chapter 12, verse 36, when He said, Be like men who are waiting, that's the word, eager anticipation for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Man, they so wanted to please their master that they waited eagerly with anticipation for his arrival so they could be the first one there to open the door for him, to welcome him back. And so Jesus, in speaking of this parable, shows that attitude of anticipation, of eagerness. And we as Christians are to have this excited, eager expectation of our Lord's return and our glorification. We are to look with anticipation for His appearing in the sky in great glory and power. We see over in Titus chapter 2, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of and the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And then again over in Romans 8.23. We ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, what? Waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. That's our resurrection. So Paul says we are waiting anxiously for our adoption and, and for the redemption of our bodies. So the event Jude has in mind is the return of Christ and your future glorification as a Christian. The attitude, he says, is that we need to be waiting with excited anticipation and expectation. So we look forward that we might live upward. We look forward to the return of Christ, our future glorification, and we look for it with eager anticipation and excitement. And what is the result of this attitude toward His return? The result is threefold. That we will live upward lives. If you look at the Scriptures, when it talks about the return of Christ, when Jesus tells parables that talk about His return, when Paul writes about the return of Christ, when Peter writes about the return of Christ, It's not just writing to tell us about it. 
there's always a reason, and that reason most of the time is to change the way we live today. He's not just telling us he's going to come back so we'll know he's going to come back. He's saying, I'm going to come back, and because I am coming back, it affects how you live today. There are three ways, three results from anticipating with great excitement and joy the return of Christ and your future glorification. This is how it should affect our lives. The what is eagerly waiting for His return and our glorification. The so what is how it affects our lives. First, it motivates us to holy living. This is the living the upward life. In 2 Peter chapter 3, look at what Peter says. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, and he's talking about the destruction of the earth in the end days, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat, but according to His promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which what dwells? Righteousness. There's going to come a day that this earth is going to be purified by fire. Everything that is filthy and defiled will be purified by fire and a new heaven and a new earth will come and the quality of that place is righteousness. That means you and I as Christians are waiting for our heavenly home where righteousness is the way of the day. Therefore, because of this, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Since I know my future home is one where righteousness dwells, I don't want to wait till then to live a righteous life. I want to live it today. I want to be righteous today. Look what he says, be diligent to be found by him in peace and spotless and blameless. Now that word be diligent needs some explanation to you to get the full impact of it. It means to make every effort. I mean, give it everything you have is what it means. Leave no stone unturned. Do it with the absolute best effort you can do. Now, if you knew you were on your deathbed and you had a child that was in another state and you wanted to convey to that child how much you wanted them to come see you before you died, now what word or words would you use? When Paul found himself in this situation, he was in prison he realized his death was close at hand. He wanted his son in the faith, Timothy, to come and see him before he died. And he uses these words when he says, Be diligent 
make every effort to come to me before winter. Make every effort. He uses that word that's translated diligent in this passage. What does that tell me? That tells me that I need to make every effort to be living a holy life. Not just half-heartedly living a holy life. But give it my best effort. Well, how do you give it your best effort? Well, first you need to be studying the Bible to find out what a holy life is. Because a holy life is living according to God's Word. So i got to be in the Word to find out what God desires of me. Be in the Word to find out His Spirit will empower me to live it. And then I've got to wake up every day saying, God, I want to live holy for you today. I want to live to your glory today. Because I know one day you're coming back. My body's going to be resurrected and glorified. And I'm going to be married to you, Jesus. And I'm going to be rewarded. And we're going to spend eternity together. So I want to live right today. So first it motivates us to holy living. We look forward that we might live upward. The second aspect of living upward is it helps keep our priorities right. Over in 1 John chapter 3, John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we'll be like Him, because we'll see Him just as He is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. John is saying, we are children of God now, but it hasn't appeared what we're going to be yet. He's saying that first installment is here, folks, but we had not gotten the final thing yet. But when Jesus returns, when He appears, then we shall be transformed. For to see Jesus is to be transformed into His likeness. Look at what He says. We shall see Him just as He is. All of history is moving to the one place, the face of Jesus. The Christian, your life is moving toward the day that you will see Jesus face to face as your Savior. Those who are outside of Christ... Their lives are moving to the day that they too will see Jesus face to face, but not as Savior, but as Judge. But all of human history is moving toward that day of seeing Jesus face to face. Now, as a Christian, John says in verse 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on Him, what hope? That you'll see Him face to face someday, and that you'll be glorified when you do. What does it do? Purifies himself, just as he is pure. Now, what does that mean, purifies himself? Well, there are two different ways to use the word pure. The way we use to think about it is to mean it's clean, right? And it's not dirty. But that's not what the word means in this context. Rather, it means singleness. It means unmixed. Now, we talk about pure gold, right? And we don't mean that gold is, doesn't have any germs on it. We don't mean that gold is clean. But what we mean is, it's nothing but gold. It doesn't have any mixture of alloy in it. It is unmixed. 
It is a singleness of purpose. It is one thing. It is gold and nothing but gold. And so this word purify yourself means to focus. It means to be unmixed in your life. It means to have a heart that's totally committed to Him, not half-hearted. It means that when we realize Jesus is coming back and, and we're going to be like Him when He comes back and we're going to be glorified and we wait for that day with excitement and anticipation, this focuses my life on living for that day. Living with eternity in mind. That's what he's talking about. When you have your hope fixed on the day of his return, you're going to live for that day. You're not going to live for tomorrow. You're not going to live for next week. We get so caught up in this world that we think that's all that there is, and we live so much for this life that we forget there's an eternity waiting out there. And we need to live with eternity in mind. And so that enables us to get our priorities straight when we keep ourselves aware that eternity is coming when we will be transformed into the glory of our Lord. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Abraham. And it says, even though God promised Abraham the land, and Abraham never, ever inherited that land. He only had one little cave that he bought to bury Sarah in. Although God promised him descendants as numerous as the stars, he only had a few at most. But yet, he lived contentedly as an alien in a land that was promised to him because he was looking for that city whose architect and builder is God. Abraham could live between the time of the promise and its fulfillment with contentment because he wasn't looking for the here and now. He was looking ahead. We can learn from that. When everything looks so bleak in this life, look forward that you might live upward. That you might live with eternity in mind. So as we... Look forward, it first of all motivates us to a holy life. Secondly, it keeps our priorities right. And thirdly, it motivates us to obedient service to our Lord. In the parable we saw earlier, Jesus says in Luke 12, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so they may immediately open the door to him, when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. And the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will be put in charge of all his possessions. Jesus says, the master goes away. One slave says, ha, he's never coming back. I'm just going to be lazy, just going to do what I want. I'm not going to worry about it. When the master comes back, that slave is going to be in big trouble. But how blessed is a slave that says, I don't know when he's coming back, but I'm going to continue to be obedient to what he's called me to do. When that master comes back, that slave will be greatly rewarded. 
Now, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but He is going to come back. And when He comes back, we need to be found being faithful to the call that He's placed on our lives. The Bible says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. We need to be using our spiritual gifts and our service to the Lord. We need to be making sure that we are serving the Lord as the husband He's called us to be, as the wife He's called us to be, as the children He's called us to be. As the members of the body of Westside, we need to be about serving our Lord because we look forward to the day that He's coming back. And therefore, we live the upward life of a holy life, a life where our priorities are set with eternity in mind and where we are obediently serving our Lord. Now, what about your life? First, are you eagerly looking forward to the return of Jesus? You probably need to spend some time thinking about that. It wouldn't hurt to think about it every day. Man, Jesus is coming back. I'm excited about it because it's going to affect how you live. When you wake up in the morning and you put your feet on the floor, you ought to say, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You are coming back someday. And when you come back, I'm going to be glorified with you. Now, with that in mind, I want to live this day. Wouldn't hurt, would it? Are you seeking to give the best effort to live a holy life? Are you looking at your life in the light of eternity? Are you obedient in your service to the Lord? There was this grandfather who was talking to his grandson who was about 10 or 11 years old. And his grandson was quite a talker. And he was going on about how he couldn't wait to go to high school and he was going to be the best football player in the, in the history of the school. And, 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 and so his grandfather said, okay, then what, my son? And he said, well, then, then I'm going to make good grades too. And, and, and then when I'm going to graduate from high school. And the grandfather said, well, then what, my son? He said, well, I'm going to go to the best colleges I can find and I'm going to be on a football scholarship and, and I'm going to get the best education I can find and, and then I'm going to graduate. And the grandfather said, and then what, my son? He said, well, then I'm going to go out and, and get a good job and I'm going to make a lot of money. And then what, my son? Well, then I'm going to get married and, and we're going to have a, a bunch of kids and, and I'm going to raise the kids and I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to have the best cars that money can buy. I'm going to have a nice big old house and we're just going to live a wonderful life. He said, well, then what, my son? He said, well, then I'll get them grown and get them graduated and get them married. Well, then what, my son? Well, then, then we'll have grandchildren, and my wife and I will enjoy the grandkids. And then what, my son? Well, then, he said, I'll retire, and I will have saved up so much money that the wife and I can just sit back and enjoy our retirement and grow old together. And the grandfather said, and then what, my son? He said, well, I guess we'll just die. And then the grandfather said, and then what, my son? And the boy didn't have anything to say. And the grandfather said, Son, you've planned your life without the most important thing. Jesus is coming back someday to judge the living and the dead and to reward his saints. 
Now you go back, and this time you plan your life with eternity in mind. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.